0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing podcast series, The Path to Wellbeing in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold, Executive Vice President of Alps Malpractice Insurance. And our goal here is simple, to introduce you to cool people doing awesome work in the space of lawyer well-being, and in the process, build and nurture a national network of well-being advocates intent on creating a culture shift within the legal profession. I'm joined today with, by my, my friend and my fellow co chair of the National Task Force, Bree Buchanan. Bree, hello. welcome. Yeah, hello, everyone. And uh, today we continue our march around the states uh, who are leading the charge, I think, in well being initiatives, commitment, and success. And as we all know, movements generally are driven by those at the grassroots level living the day-to-day, trying new ideas. In other words, serving as laboratories uh, of new ideas. And in any movement, we need a few leaders to jump out front. And that's exactly what we have seen out of our friends in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Across the country, we've seen a swelling of task forces, work groups, roundtables. And there are lessons to be learned from what's going on states like Massachusetts and and their roadmap. And we're so excited today to welcome Heidi Alexander to the podcast. Heidi is uh, Massachusetts' first director of Supreme Judicial Court uh, Standing Committee on Lawyer Wellbeing. And Bree, would you be so kind to introduce uh, Heidi to our listeners?
1: Absolutely. And this is such a wonderful um, bio here, Heidi. I just love it and would love to have been you. (laughs) Heidi was formerly the Deputy Director of Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers in Massachusetts and led the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. She is the author of Evernote as a Law Practice Tool, past co-chair of ABA Tech Show, and founder of the ABA's Women of Legal Technology Initiative. She's a native Minnesotan. Former collegiate ice hockey goaltender for the Amherst College women's ice hockey team, love it. A crossfit coach and powerlifter, and most important of all, the mother of three young girls. So, Heidi, thanks so much for being here with us today. And listen, thank one you of the for things, having me. Yeah, yeah. I, one of the things that we always ask our guests is just a little bit about um, what drives your passion and really wanting to hear from um, everyone what has brought you into the well-being movement. Um, you know, what experience in your life is a driver behind your passion for this month?
2: Yeah. Thank you. Well, again, th- you know, thank you again for for having me on here. Uh, and I, I love it when someone calls me cool uh, because my kids certainly don't think so, and my wife certainly doesn't think so. So <laughs> I, I'm 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 in a cool zone here. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm I, I'm happy to to talk about what brought me uh, to to this movement. Um i I pursued somewhat of an alternative legal career path. Um, I, I was I was sort of that that kid who went to law school because I wanted to change the world. Uh, super ambitious, driven didn't really think much about my own well-being um other than you know exercise i was a competitive athlete in college uh, but uh, other than that you know I, I wasn't really really that that aware um so i, I went to law school um a little bit older because i i worked and i started off as a clerk for a justice on the new jersey supreme court which of course was a fantastic experience um then moved back to Boston and worked at, as a, um, uh, a litigation associate doing plaintiff side, employment law, so a lot of discrimination. Sort of civil rights-y work, so it was kind of where I thought I, I should be. Um, but I hated litigation. It was not for me. Uh, and I left, and I actually got to a point where I thought, Hey maybe I'll even start an organic farm um, I, I was sort of like you know I was a little bit lost uh, because I had just been so focused on you know this is what I want to do, this is what i where I want to be, and all of a sudden when it when it just wasn't working out um that you know that was tough so so I ended up i Uh, I actually wrote a a business plan to start a farm and then I apprenticed on a farm and said, Oh, this isn't for me either. (laughs) So, uh, but all that time I got really involved in the bar associations and, um, and ended up. Uh, sort of pursuing an interest of mine, which was more along the lines of the management of the practice, uh, and really focused on marketing and technology. And I started to consult with um, with some firms, and so that's that's actually what led me to uh, Lawyers Concern for Lawyers in Massachusetts, because uh, Lawyers Concern for Lawyers actually has a program which is a law office management assistance program. So it's actually part of our state's. Uh, lawyer assistance program where there are practice advisors that uh, consult with primarily solo and small firms on the, the business of law. And I, and, you know, one of the things I realized when I was in that position, um, was that the two services, the clinical services, the focus on well-being, and um, and the the management of the practice were intertwined. Um, there's Absolutely. such a connection, right, between the personal and the and the professional. Um, and so, you know, I got a, much more interested in the. Um, in the well-being work, and then I shifted to this position that I'm currently in, <clears throat> working for the court. You know, really focused on on well-being. Um, but in in addition to you know the sort of commitment that I have that I've that I've always had to to working sort of doing public service work. Um, you know, I do have some life experiences that, that have drawn me here too, um, you know, and so, so for, for those listening, you know, that some of this may ring true for you. I, I was, I was, when I was in law school, I actually got my first migraine with an aura and uh, it's a pretty scary wow. experience. <laughs> you see a bright light. Uh, and And it 's almost like you think you 're having a stroke, right. um, and so you know that that was pretty scary. Um, I drank a lot in in law school to deal with stress. Um, I had my first panic attack before I sat for the Massachusetts and New York bars. And then had a lot of anxiety um, when I was in practice. And so it wasn't really until then did I really start to focus on, you know, on my own well-being and kind of what, you know, what that meant. So I, you know, I do feel like I come from this from uh, a a lot of different angles and uh, and perspectives.
1: Absolutely. I I really identified a lot with what some of the things that you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And I remember having a lot of the same difficulties early in law school and you just sort of persist mm-hmm. and then do the things that you think you're supposed to do and you're told to do, and it doesn't fit. And then you move on to finding something else. And so it sounds like you've got a really great sort of balance in full life right now. So that's wonderful.
2: Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about your state. So, so the, the Supreme Judicial Court launches this standing committee on lawyer well-being. And I'm, I'm just curious on, how does that happen, right? How did who were who were the players? How did uh, how how did things kind of start to form? Obviously, you're a you're a result of that work. So, give us the give us the background on on how uh, the the well being committee launched uh, there in Massachusetts.
2: Yeah, so it, this was really a collaborative effort. I think by many of the leaders here and the pioneers in Massachusetts, including. Uh, leaders in our court, leaders from our state's lawyer assistance program, uh, folks in law firms, public agencies, bar associations, and um, and, and other organizations. But I think it was really our late Chief Justice Ralph Gantz who was responsible for making uh, this a reality. Uh, The the Chief Justice who actually just um, passed away very, very suddenly um uh, almost maybe a a few weeks ago now uh he he was really dedicated to this work and he was a huge advocate and proponent of the sjc steering committee um and so the steering committee was the the first committee that formed and then transitioned to a permanent standing committee um, you know, and, and again, I mean, the Chief Justice, he was just he was a leader in so many ways, you know, this wasn't his only focus. Um, so his, his death is a huge loss for the, uh, for the entire, com- uh, the entire community here. Um, did you know, do you know what yeah. drove
0: his personal passion for this issue?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's actually an interesting question and I I don't think I could I actually don't think I could answer that that yeah. question. I mean, he he's he was the sort of guy that um just was a a really compassionate person, a really thoughtful person, um someone who was always looking out for others, um potentially to the detriment of of himself. I mean, he he was someone who was so driven. And I just can't imagine, you know, the stress that he had been under, especially, uh, you know, starting in, in March with the pandemic. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, I think he sort of comes at it from from a number of different ways, because he was also very, very, very much committed to um, racial injustices as well, which, you know, as a, I'll, I'll definitely would like to talk about later, you know, there's there's such a, a tie to, to well-being there. So I, yeah, yeah. I think he's just a, he was just a fantastic person um, all, all around.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think I've shared with you, Heidi, that one of, um, you know, in my five years working on this, uh, he's, his quote uh, that, that, that I think he shared uh, is one of my favorites in the well-being space. And it, it, it basically says, the health of our legal system depends on the health of the legal profession. And the health mm-hmm. of the profession depends on the health of our lawyers, right? I, I just think that that really mm-hmm. encompasses and encapsulates just kind of what what we're trying to do here and how it's all intertwined in terms of the, the, the well-being and functioning of of a legal system and how dependent it is on us uh, to be thinking about those participants within the system and their particular health to drive the success of the system. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he really was someone who was, who was very, very wise and, and very good with, uh, with his, his words.
0: Yeah. So, so what have been some of the, you know, obviously you kind of had a a, a kind of a a interim committee. Now you have a standing committee. So what, what have been some of the, uh, the outcomes of, of, of the process and, you know, kind of, where do we, where do we now find ourselves today? Sure.
2: Sure. So, our, so we had this steering committee, which formed in 2018, and it met uh, from 2018 to 2019, which was led by uh, retired uh, uh, SJC Justice Margot Botsford, um, who also is another just tremendous leader and inspiration for this work. And so under her lead, they, they convened a number of subcommittees over the course of the year, and each of those subcommittees represented a different sector and each wrote a report. And so upon review of the reports, a series of recommendations resulted. And so the steering committee then compiled its formal recommendations and the reports from each of the subcommittees and into this 150 page report, which was then released in July of 2019. Um, And so they didn't really want to stop there because, uh, you know, the, the thought was, well, we have this great report, right, with all these recommendations. Now what do we do? And so in the report, one of the recommendations was to create a permanent standing committee. Um, and so that happened in January of 2020. And uh, a bunch of new members uh, were added there, so they weren't necessarily the people who had worked on the steering committee report. They were new folks. Um, And then in order to help guide implementation of the recommendations, that's when I was then hired as the one full-time director of the committee in March about a day before the pandemic. <laughs> um, so, but, um, but with my roots, you know, really in the lawyer assistance world, it made for a really easy, uh, easy transition. So that's sort of where, where we got to, and then I can, you know, I'm happy to later on tell you all the wonderful things we are working on.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so, hi, I'm just wondering, um,
1: there was just this really clear and uh, tight progression of the work there in Massachusetts. How did that happen? I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, for this podcast, hoping that that people can take away the success stories of some of our guests and think about how they can implement in the state. And so sort of what do you see as the key components to getting you to this point? To getting that permanent steering committee what did you see have to come together to make that yeah. really happen the secret sauce
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well i mean i do think that it was essential to have the the chief justice and the court uh behind these efforts uh and and also in particular now so we have um, uh, Justice uh, Margo Botsford, who's the re- retired justice, you know, she led the steering committee and then, um, and now is one of the co-chairs of the standing committee. Um, and so, you know, she is just, she's very well known. Um, she has fantastic ideas. Uh, so she, she's kind of a, a major player here. And so I think that that's really helpful. But I also think, you know we have um, we have a number of different leaders um, that we are, we are connected to, who have really you know really bought in um, and are passionate. And so um, I think it's really helpful to have you know people who represent all these different legal sectors, like um, in particular, our, our committee, so our committee is comprised of people at public agencies. We have the number two person at the attorney general's office. We have um, uh, a a dean of, um, of, or the dean, I should say, of uh, Boston University Law School. We've got a medical advisor. Uh, We have um, someone from Greater Boston Legal Services, and then we have advisors on our committee who are our regulators and also um, the executive director of our state's lawyer assistance program. So, um, so I think, you know, it's it's definitely helpful to have uh, the buy in of those leaders and then each of those people. Uh, then sort of have their own what we call kitchen cabinets. And so we kind of have our, our tentacles everywhere. So I think, you know, one of the important pieces, and it's something that we work on is, is extending our reach, you know, creating this awareness. And, right. and the more we can do that and kind of bring on those, those people um, and, and continue to extend the reach, I think that's really helpful to get that buy-in
1: wonderful absolutely and I'm just curious real quick I did one of the the key players in some of the states are the state bar associations and did do you have them at the table in Massachusetts
2: yeah absolutely um, so we are a state um, we do not have a mandatory bar um, but we have um, so we have uh, actually I think I think we now have 30 I think it's 33 bar associations by my my last count, uh, and one of them is the Massachusetts Bar Association, which is a huge bar association, represents people from all their all over Massachusetts, and also the Boston Bar Association, which um, it typically represents a, a lot of the the larger firms. Um, but our our other our co-chair, so we have Margot Botsford, but we also have Denise Murphy, who is is our other co-chair, who is. The current president of the Massachusetts Bar Association. Wow. Um, So talk (laughs) about yeah, and and her her whole um, focus this year with the bar association is well being. So it our work is so so intertwined, and I. I really think that um, for us the bar associations are extremely important to our efforts um, because they help us extend uh, extend that reach and there's a lot of work we can do with them and help them and support them and so we've actually started uh, we had our, our first bar leader meeting uh, about a week ago and we're going to have those on a regular basis and we're talking about potentially you know figuring out some sort of mechanism to make sure they get our updates and talk about ways we can collaborate. Um, so we really want to make sure that we are a, uh, we are supporting them and we are working very, very closely with them.
0: And Heidi, does that extend to the totality of bar associations in your state, the specialty bars, county bars, you know, obviously your state bar is a, is a large and, and effective one. Um, I'm just wondering about the scope of that kind of organizing effort.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, we we think that's really important. Um, particularly, we have been doing a lot of work with our uh, affinity bars, which are the bars that represent our diverse attorneys in Massachusetts. Um, so we are we are very well connected to them, and uh, and then we have a lot of county bars um, that represent. A lot of our, our our lawyers, you know, across Massachusetts in different geographical areas, many of them solo and small firms. And a lot of the county bars don't have uh, don't have staff and they're 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 volunteers. Um, so they're volunteers who are doing all the work. So the more support that we can provide to them, um, I think the, the more they can do. So we're talking about, you know, doing bench bar conferences and mentorship programs um, and loan assistance programs. Uh, lot, lots of different uh, ways in which we can we can work with them.
0: Excellent. Let's take us in uh, to our first, uh, our break. And I do want to remind listeners that one of the things that we'll do in conjunction with Heidi's podcast is also post uh, their uh, steering committee report, obviously 150 pages with the various sector subcommittee reports. And you know, one of our goals uh, in the podcast is to share this information uh, through others who either may be uh, along on a similar journey or starting their journey, right? And so um, uh, there, sh- there should be information uh, t- uh, that will come along with uh, the podcast uh, for quick reference uh, to their uh, report there. So let's, let's, uh, let's take our let let's take our break.
2: Your law firm is worth protecting. And so is your time. ALPS has the quickest online application for legal malpractice insurance out there. Apply, see rates, and find coverage, all in about 20 minutes. Being a lawyer is hard. Our new online app is easy. Apply now at applyonline.alpsnet.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and we have Heidi Alexander, who is the director of the Massachusetts Well-Being Committee, and I'm sure that I did not get that name exactly right, Heidi, um, but tell us what you guys are working on now. What
2: are some of the, the really big items? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to, and, and don't worry about the title. That's not actually not very important. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is this is where things really become um, become exciting uh, in in my mind, uh, because we have this one hundred and fifty page report with many, many recommendations to to implement, and a lot of the recommendations um, you know would would really lead to a change in, in the legal culture. I mean, we have recommendations in there, uh, from our large firm subcommittee that suggest a cap on billable hours. Um, none of these, yeah, I mean, none of these recommendations are easy, right? They're, they're, they're not easy. Um, and then you, you know, you add the pandemic and you add, uh, long-standing inequalities that we have to address and it, it becomes very complicated and so when I first moved into this position you know what we had to do was really take a step back and kind of reprioritize and figure out you know where could we realistically make progress and be right. most effective um, and and so the, these are kind of the the categories that that I would um that, that I would say we are prioritizing. One is sort of changing and influencing culture. And that is going to be something that will be, we will continue to kind of chip away at um, through these recommendations. Uh, number two is increasing awareness and reducing stigma, which I know right. lots of people right across the nation are trying to do. Um, number three, increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion, which we know is extremely important um, for for well-being, um, particularly as uh, a diverse attorney um, and feeling a sense of, of belonging in the uh, in the profession, um, and also the ability to uh, to Adequately uh, represent clients, um, and we have a, a you know big problem here in Massachusetts where, you know, um, attorneys don't necessarily look like the people they represent, and the judges making the decision don't look like the people, um, the litigants, right? And that that causes a lot a lot of problems. Um, and yeah. I and I'm happy to to definitely talk more about that. Um, but the uh, fourth is. In terms of the big picture is improving life and career satisfaction and reducing burnout. Uh, and then the fifth is increasing civility. Um, and we know that, you know, t- we've, we've seen sort of across the nation, this decline in, uh, in civility. And so uh, we're, you know, we think that that is extremely important um, uh, in terms of Uh, increasing uh, well-being so that those are sort of the those are the big the big picture uh, items uh, which are (laughs) being held over our head yeah (laughs)
0: and uh, on those pillars are you do you then have are are, are you have you developed working groups underneath that what's 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 your Mm -hmm. strategy in terms of an execution strategy
2: yeah so we have um so we have, like I talked about, these, uh, these kitchen cabinets. Um, e- each person on our committee has a, a kitchen cabinet. And sometimes we use that kitchen cabinet as, a, as sort of a, an advisory group. Sometimes they're, they're working on something specific. So for, for example, we have a law school subcommittee. And the law school subcommittee is comprised of faculty and administrators and law students from each one of our law schools here in Massachusetts and what they are working on specifically right now is a toolkit for Massachusetts law schools, uh, a well-being toolkit, and this will be for uh, law students, faculty, and administrators, and, um, you know, some of the issues they're going to address will be, you know, how do you access mental health services? What sort of programs can you provide? You know, how should faculty sort of be attuned to well-being issues? And how can they integrate that into every single one of their, their courses? Um, how do you address cultural competency? Uh, so they're, they're, this, they're doing a lot. And I think part of you know what what I think is going to be so great about that is, you know, if we can do it the right way, if we can take that toolkit and really and disseminate it to all these law schools and actually have them implement this, um, I think it's gonna go a lot way in terms of a long way in terms of making some real culture changes uh, in, in the law schools. Uh, because we do have a lot of folks representing, again, representing all these different law schools. That's amazing. And I, and I just want to
1: say, Heidi, whenever you get that, <laughs> we want to be able to post <laughs> it on the task force's website and try to share. Of course. It of, yeah, course. That's, yeah. that of course. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. And that's just one, I'm sure, of many projects that you're working on. Are there any others that you wanted to
2: yeah. highlight? And I, and I, I want to say too, that, um, they they are using the um, the national task force uh, um, law school toolkit uh, you know using uh, aspects of, of that so that that has also been very helpful to them um, yeah we I mean we have a lot of different different projects that kind of fit into the the big picture categories uh, and I, I'll I'll mention some of them that that I think folks might be interested in. Um, our report talks a lot about the importance of uh, of mentorship and um, and that the impact on well-being and so we've actually launched a bunch of mentorship programs we just uh, we just finished a pilot out in the western part of the state and it was an interesting sort of unique uh, mentorship model where we actually use, Uh, software, a software program to connect uh, mentors to mentees. Um, And it was almost like a, like a dating app (laughs) where the, the, the mentees got to sort of look at the, the bios of their potential mentors and they got to select, they could say, you know, I'm interested in this person I'm interested in this person. And they got to meet with multiple uh, mentors. So they kind of got a variety of, uh, of perspectives. And what we learned from them is that it wasn't—it wasn't a lot of substantive conversation. It was actually about like how do you manage practice, like right. how do you manage the caseload, how do you deal with you know adversaries. It was more you know issues related to to well being um, really than the than the substance of practice. So that that's one of them. Um, we also just launched a pilot uh, loan assistance program uh, because we know that uh, student loans create a, a huge amount of stress uh, for attorneys. And so um, we, we created this program to work with, uh, with an organization to provide uh, uh, education, um, coaching, uh, and resources. And so we have actually have over 200 attorneys signed up for this this pilot, which we're calling wow, a pilot. That's amazing. Um, and so we'll see, you know, we will survey them after they finish it and see, you know, did this have an impact um, on their stress? Um, and we're also looking at, you know, how to create um, more accessible and affordable health care uh, and benefits. Um, so those. You know, those are some of them. Uh, in terms of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, like I said, that's a big focus for us. Um, a couple things that we're doing is we're actually changing uh, some rules on SJC rule to add a requirement to our bar registration process to collect demographic data. Which is something we've demographic data on our attorneys. We've never done this before. We don't know the makeup of our uh, of no. the Massachusetts bar. We have no idea what it looks like. Um, and so this is actually going to be uh, be required so that we can have a better understanding of the demographics of our bar and where you know what where are we you know where are we falling short right? Um, and then we can do things like. What we we recently did was held town halls with our affinity bars, again, who represent the diverse attorneys in Massachusetts, and hear from them and hear about their lived experiences, which, by the way, were extremely, extremely distressing. Um, I'm sure that must have been really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. it, It was, I mean, there were sort of time and again, I mean, we heard over and over about the experiences, particularly in in the courts, um, the treatment of uh, of diverse attorneys, you know, people of color who would walk in and be confused with the defendant, um, assumed that this person was the defendant. They'd have their bar cards scrutinized as they walked through the door. And, you know, you can imagine what that does, right, to someone's um, someone's well-being, their confidence, right? When that's happening to them, right before they have to get up and argue in right. court, um, it it takes a toll. So, um, so we are that that's going to be a big part of our our work. We are likely ha- actually going to be hiring a a, a consultant who's going to help us put together a strategic plan focused on uh, increasing the diversity of our profession and. Uh, and helping us to better support our diverse, uh, diverse attorneys.
1: And and I want you to follow up one question on that. What I've heard also implicit in all of this, you you guys are doing so much. I hear money. (laughs) I hear funding behind Hmm. that. So where Hmm. do you guys get your funding to be able to pay your salary and uh, hire a consultant and do all of these things, which I think for a lot of task force forces would be just uh sort of really dreams yeah
2: yeah i yeah i mean i do i do wish that that everyone was in the same situation uh-huh. as as we are for sure um I, you know i think i think we are are very very fortunate um we, so mainly everything is funded through our bar assessments. So the, you know, the fees that attorneys pay to be licensed here, we have a lot of attorneys, um, in our state. So we have probably somewhere around 70,000 active attorneys in our state and, and they all pay. So basically, essentially they are paying for this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that is where it's coming. And, you know, the fact that we have the support of the, the SJC, again, is essential because they're the ones who, who make the rules and can say who gets what.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just to follow another, one more follow-up on that, you know, yeah. Virginia, they passed, the legislature imposed a specific dedicated assessment on basically membership dues that mm-hmm. transformed the lawyers' assistance program
2: there. Mm-hmm. So, do you guys? Is
1: this just a specific line item on people's bar dues, or is it yep.
2: allocated? Okay. Yep it's a it's a specific line item. So it's we actually don't have to go to the legislature. i the only reason we I think we'd have to go to the legislature is to increase the uh, the amount of funding. Um, but there are, are enough funds that we collect right now to to actually make this possible so we haven't had to increase bar dues okay sorry yeah. to get in the
1: weeds there but
0: that's what no
2: no
1: no. it's important
2: sorry. yeah
0: no it's a really important question because it, it certainly feels like brie as we've you know teasing out themes that we're seeing across states that are being extraordinarily successful in uh, in working on this issue uh, you know if there's not fuel to uh to, to ignite the the, the the discussion and some resources available I mean we, we, we certainly can see instances where having a Heidi on the ground I mean the, we can see how one person can make a, a real significant difference in in the both the leadership and the orchestration of, uh, of 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 the activities right and and so you know certainly I know other states are probably listening in on this and and, and maybe again as, as Heidi you said maybe not in as uh, as, as fortunate of a position. Um, and so that, that becomes, I think, a, a major thing for us to be able to, to guide folks on, which is you know, why having some dedicated resources to this can make such a huge difference.
2: Well, you know, I also think, and, and this is something that we, we've been trying to do as well, is to you know, utilize, for example, some of the resources from the large firms, right? Um, you know, we we have a bunch of large firms here. There, uh, many of them have really fantastic uh, well-being programs uh, that that they're running. Um, but are there ways in which you know we can kind of help uh, harness those those resources and maybe use them? For folks who um, who don't have those resources, um, you know, one of the things we've put together is we launched this uh, this local lawyer well-being network, and it it started um, well, it was in our recommendations as a priority for the the law the law firms um, to actually have this network of people who could talk about best practices. Uh, and and share resources. Um, but there was more interest. So we kind of opened it up to everyone. And we have people who are now involved, who are solo, solo practitioners, who are small firms, who are in uh, academia, who are in public agencies. And what we're trying to figure out is, you know, is there some way that we could kind of use the resources of the large firms almost in like this sort of pro bono you know charitable effort, right um, to help other people. like could maybe this you know the public agencies or the or the solo folks you know utilize some of the well-being resources that these firms have have created? Uh, and so that that's just something that we're. You know, it's kind of just just sort of percolating uh, at, at this moment, but maybe applicable to, um, to other folks and kind of thinking about how to, um, how to access resources.
0: Yeah. Heidi, can I ask on the, you know, it sounds like you had these kitchen cabinets, right, that really were, were formed around sectors that ultimately guided the recommendations within the steering committee report. It sounds like a couple of the sectors were law schools and, and law firms. Can you share with us the, the other sectors that kind of took shape uh, in your state? Because again, a, a lot of states that do have task forces are kind of thinking about how they structure their, their work. And it sounds like you have uh, progressed well based upon the strategy that you've employed. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so you're, you're quizzing me now. Uh, let's see if <laughs> I can get them all. Um, <laughs> we had, so it, initially uh, for our, our, our steering committee, um so we had our we had uh, public agencies um which would include like district attorneys they would include our committee for public counsel services which are really our uh, our public defenders uh we had our our legal services uh we had uh solo and small firms as a group we had large firms as a group we had in-house counsel um we also had Uh, let's see, we already said law, we said law school, Um, what am I missing here? We, we also had uh, individual bar associations, like I talked about the Massachusetts Bar Association and the Boston Bar Association. We actually had each of them wrote their own reports too, Um, so they, they were players, and you know, I do think that, that one, one particular voice or voices that were missing from these uh, from the steering committee subcommittees were our affinity bars. Um, so we, we did not have a report from you know our women's bar association or our mass black lawyers um, or our South Asian attorneys. And I think that would have been re- really helpful. Um, so if people are thinking about that, that's a perspective um, I, I would definitely add. I'm probably missing a group, but I just can't think of it right now.
0: No worries. A um, couple, couple more uh, questions as we as we close out the podcast. I'm, 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 I'm curious on on as we think about well being. I think one of the things that's oftentimes hard for us to kind of put our hands around is how we measure success, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I'm just kind of curious as you, you you know, you're clearly working on you know five pillars. You're you're going to be moving forward multiple initiatives. I, I'm just I'm curious, Heidi, on your perspective of. Of how, how do you know when we've crossed certain thresholds toward um, either you know improvement or you know are there way stations out there that you can visualize that give you the confidence that we are making a difference
2: that that's a that is a fantastic question and it is something that we think about all the time um, and I think about it particularly in my household because actually my my wife is a is a physician and uh, and researcher and her focus is on implementation science and evaluation so we talk about this all (laughs) the time Um, you know what is the most effective way um, to evaluate and so you know what we're doing right now is you know we're, we're hoping to embark on this Sort of b- bigger study of, uh, of lawyer well being in Massachusetts to, you know, somewhat create a, a baseline. Um, but I-, I do think that. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of these efforts are, you know, are going to, they're going to have to continue. Um, they're, they're going to have to sort of uh, adapt and, and change. Um, and, you know, we're probably never going to get to the point of where we say, oh, we're, you know, we're done. Everyone's great. Everyone's fantastic, right? They're there going to be different issues that, that arise. Um, and so um, I, you know, I think in terms of like our sp- our individual programs that we have and our pilot programs that we're running, we're going to evaluate those specific programs and see, you know, how they impact the well-being. Like when I talked about this loan assistance program, you know, we will do a survey at the end of that and we, and we will try to measure, um, you know, whether the program had any impact, right, on on the stress, um, and so you know if we can show that in the short term, and then maybe you know then take that to sort of a, a, a broader scale, and then again evaluate that later on. You know, it, it may be looking at these things in in sort of little pieces, but also you know also keeping track of like keeping our pulse on uh, on on changes. Uh, sort of over the course of a number of years. Like, are we seeing any differences in terms of, uh, you know, are there changes in terms of uh, substance use and addiction? Um, are there, you know, what what are the different issues that, that are arising? So I think we, we sort of use that, I mean, it's evaluation in some ways, but um, in other ways, it's also to figure out, you know, where we have to focus our efforts, right? Collect the, the data and then make these, Data driven decisions about what sort of programs we're going to have and and then just kind of keep moving along and keep adapting and to the to the changes. So that's sort of a long mm, Non answer to your question. Because uh, <laughs> I don't think that there's one, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what you know what the right way is to, to do that. But those are some of the ideas we have
0: Good, Good, good. Well, let me ask you just as a, as a final question, you know, obviously a lot of our listeners are at different points of, 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 of the journey, you know, lessons learned. What, what are some of the things that you've learned the hard way? Some of the, any advice or recommendations that you would make to others uh, out there as they uh, think about igniting change and, and, uh, and culture shifts uh, in their respective states?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I mean, like I said, said before, I think it's really helpful to have the, the buy-in of you know, as many people and you know, uh, definitely influential people uh, in, in your state as possible. Um, I do think that initially uh, when I started working on this, I was sort of a deer in headlights thinking about you know, how do we tackle this major culture shift that, that we would like to happen? Um, and what I learned was, you know, having these big picture goals were good. Uh, and, and I think they, they help us sort of focus our, our efforts, but we have to really work on the concrete and, and tangible actions um, where we can also Demonstrate milestones like we, you know, we've 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 done this this program. It's done X, Y, and Z. It's helped people in this way, right? Um, it, it's it's really, you know, it's impossible to tackle every issue right away. And so, what a lot of what we've done is is prioritize our efforts, uh, and we have looked at. Uh, attorneys who are really struggling, um, especially during this time. So, you know, a lot of the solo and small firm attorneys, um, while we know that the large law firms need a massive culture change and there's a lot of work to be done, like I said before, there's a lot of great well-being efforts that are already happening there. And so, you know, sometimes you, you sort of have to step back and say, okay, like let them do their thing, let them do their work. Where we're we'll, we're really needed is is over here. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that that we can do. Um, I guess you know for the larger firms, like create these networks and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't really feel like there's sort of a one size fits all model for them. So um, it's it's a little bit more more difficult, but. Um, but I do think kind of focusing in, you know, you're not going to be able to tackle it all at once. It's a, it's a incremental, incremental process.
0: Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt that big goals ultimately need to be broken down into small steps. And, and, uh, and, and obviously the creation of your role is a small success in, in our, in, in our bigger picture story of, of well-being across the country. So yeah. that's you know that, that's well Heidi again I, w- I want to thank you for your, your your time your expertise you are you know even though you you, you uh, interesting route to getting to where you are today but as as, as we all know you are now a, a mover and shaker in our well-being <laughs> right. movement I would consider you a, a, a thought leader we need folks who are uh, thinking about this on the uh, on the day-to-day and 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 you know let's let's be honest we need more Heidi Alexanders out there in the field uh, advancing sure. this at the state level. So I, I, I thank you for your, your time, your commitment. I'm sure that if others have questions of you, uh, that you'd be willing to uh, field those questions and, and we'll include Heidi's uh, contact information uh, associated with the podcast and on the National Task Force website uh, as well. Bree, any uh, parting remarks?
1: Just Heidi, I'm so impressed with all that you're doing and the energy and the broad perspective that you're bringing to this and just really in being able to persist and, and get things done. It's so impressive. And thank you for all that you're doing.
0: And Yeah. To our listen- th- yeah thanks. Oh, thanks again. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate this. And uh, you know, I've been, I've been an avid listener of the podcast, so you've had some just phenomenal guests on here. I, I feel like I'm not, not worthy of this, but, uh, but I, 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 do appreciate it And I so appreciate all, all your work. So thank you.
0: Excellent, and to our listeners we'll be back in a couple weeks uh we're going to, we'll have uh, on the podcast martha uh, Knudsen, uh who's uh, spearheading uh well-being efforts in the state of utah right so we've went through from virginia to massachusetts to uh we'll, we'll pick up with with utah and again some really interesting things happening at the state level that we're excited to share uh, with our listeners but uh, for now